Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, welcome to Energy West, where we dive into the big issues of the day. I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. And with me is my co-host, Josh Keeling of Cadeo Group. And today we're talking with Roger Klein, General Manager of Northern Wasco County People's Utility District and Chair of the Public Power Council, which represents more than 100 of Bonneville Power Administration's preference customers. Roger, how, how are you doing today? Excellent, Dan. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, well, thank you for for taking time. Uh, you're, uh, yeah, you're actually on vacation, right? My 16 year old is visiting. Uh, he squeezed dad in for a week of uh, summertime, so I'm in my <laughs> office at the PUD at at the moment uh, to talk to you guys and a few other things, and then hopefully I'll get out of here and we'll take advantage of some of the the weather that we've been having and maybe catch a couple fish even too. That's great. And that's great. And uh, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. You, you oscillate between complaining about the rain and then complaining about the heat. So I don't know, as, as long as we got something to complain about, it's all good. But uh, yeah, buried in children right now and excited to get the conversation going. Um, uh, hey, Roger, let's, let's just kick it off. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about just like the big picture stuff, and then maybe we could zoom into some of the stuff specific to North Wasco and just public power. Um, uh, so, you know, I mean, the, the big thing to talk about, I, I feel like in the Northwest right now, I mean, there's a lot of big topics, but, but um, you know, the power plan just came out recently. Um, and to just summarize an extremely long and technical document into like a couple sentences, you know, uh, a ton of renewables, like a just insane amount of renewables coming on the system very fast. Um, efficiency not looking quite the same as it used to. Um, demand response not looking exactly the same as it used to, and just resource adequacy overall, really becoming a much more complex and and uh, tricky topic. Uh, flexibility being a really big priority for the region overall. I'm I'm just curious, you know, how are how are you sort of seeing that picture from the public power side, and and um, how do you see things sort of changing in the future? Well, the lens I look through first is meeting load, right? As, as a retail provider and, and answers directly to the customer. Uh, so the power plan for the region uh, in the days of yore when conservation was easily easy, the lowest cost resource, rather than building something anew, it made sense. That's where you'd put the focus. And, and for us uh, on the public side, opportunity to help the average customer reduce their utility bill. Um, here in, in our community, one of the, a lot of the residential homes and businesses were, were built, um, you know, the, the wall resistive heater was the lowest cost, right? The, the electricity was, what's the joke, too cheap to meter. And uh, that's not the same anymore. So efficiency matters, uh, not having um, the, the cold winter, the hot summer leaking through your windows. There, there was just a lot of opportunity in the Kind of the portfolio of the real estate that was in the community to do some excellent efficiency work. Uh, most recently, we've done some big projects like at the grocery stores with LED lighting. And um, but as those things are kind of getting to the end, like we've we've got all the low hanging fruit to start the the buzzword speak for the pod. Uh, 
it's not the same anymore because right the the development costs for wind and solar have come down uh, a lot uh, in theory the states in which they will be constructed are friendly to those resources um, so the opportunity to grow your portfolio especially at the same time at the same time that um, state and federal legislation might be looking towards uh, not being as friendly to other resources you know there's a huge uh, reduction in, in coal power across the portfolio across the region and we have to make it up with something um, whether it's uh, you know, I can't DR my, my typical home or business here in, in the community, but I can work with some of my large maybe data customers and uh, have some opportunity for demand response uh, programs. Uh, that's an awful lot of water heaters to, to take a coal plant off the, off the grid and have it equal out, right? So um, I, I think that the resource stack is going to look different in the future because that's what we're seeing as carbon policy becomes more and more to the forefront. Uh, for me, as someone who has that reliability lens that I have to look through all the time, uh, I worry. You know, I came up on the operation side, on the supply side. I was a power plant operator at, early in my career because that's what I learned to do in the Navy before I went uh, finished college. Uh, so keeping electrons flowing down the transmission and distribution system, that, that's kind of my jam. I, I, I like that. Uh, so how do we do that with a, a stack of variable resources? Uh, storage is going to be the key. So where, whether it's pump storage, hydro, or whether it's battery, um, that's, that's really going to be the, the deciding factor, I, I think, or bringing in some other baseload resources like small, mod, small, mod, small modular reactor uh, or, or some better transmission uh, with more capacity. Uh, from a larger footprint, because if we can't generate it here, it needs to come from somewhere, or even to lean into some of those conversations we had before we started recording about, you know, what's the microgrid look like, uh, what is sharing yeah. through your uh, neighborhood solar system look like, yeah. uh, what if maybe you have a EV in the future that could take and provide some of that battery. Because uh, again, I, I worry about reliability. That that's where I look at. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you touched on a, a lot there. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's so many different options that are going to have to be approached and it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> we, we talked to Ben Quila uh, a couple months ago uh, from the, the power council and, you know, it's the, the job of power planners hasn't gotten easier and the, jo the job of operators certainly hasn't gotten easier. Um, but especially as flexibility becomes just so, so much more critical. Um, I mean, part of that conversation comes down to coordination as well, right? So, you know, how do we Very think about, so. you know, markets, you know, historically yeah. not having an organized market, but there's a lot of different conversations going around around that topic here today. So, I mean, for, from your perspective on the power, uh, public power side, you know, what are you seeing and like, what do you think has promise in that sort of area? Generally speaking, without being specific to Southwest Power Pool or even California sure. ISO or uh, some unknown third option that maybe people just think about, um, I hope, and here's, here's Roger's waxing poetic moment, so buckle up. Uh, the folks that we inherited the utilities from, right, the generations that went before us, 
whether they were 76 years ago fighting to form the PUD here in Oregon, uh, going through the month-to-month battles with our lines on one side of the road and uh, formerly Pacific Powers on the other side of the road and customers jumping back and forth to today, maybe maybe this is our uh, seminal moment that bringing a market to the Pacific Northwest or connecting ours to an existing market, uh, maybe that's the the pioneer moment for us because we've had it really good for a really long time, right? And uh, local control is just a piece of the public power ethos uh, where the elected folks in your community represent you and whether it's your march on Portland to have a conversation with Bonneville about rates or your march on DC to talk to your elected officials about something completely different, uh, this is that time where we're all going to have to get generally comfortable of letting go of control of the, the moment and saying, okay, we believe enough in a free market solution, uh, mature governance and uh, understanding what the resource stack looks like across the footprint of the market and that there are the appropriate rules in place that it's going to meet all of our needs and it's not going to you know, break the bank or uh, dirty up my power system. Um, I don't think that the Northwest has a lot of uh, positive memory of maybe uh, different forays into a contractual relationship with maybe California or or other places when things haven't gone uh, swimmingly. Uh, I think we can get past that. I think we have to get past that to have real honest conversation and dialogue about what governance looks like, whether we're talking to California or I was asked once uh, during the um, fundamentals conversation about what would public power at PPC and the market subcommittee, what are the things that are important to you? And and for me, it was always a a broader footprint. You know, there's advantages to a diverse resource stack, right? Because when the sun is shining here, maybe it's not shining as brightly somewhere else, but the wind is probably blowing or the river is flowing or there's a nice big base load plant somewhere. Cause again, I'm an operator at heart, right? I, I want to see big steel spinning fast. Uh, so it, and it I mean, shouldn't to, be all, all or one. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, to do that, you'd need uh, more transmission to really get the most out of that, uh, to tie the West together. And I want to bring that back to the Northwest though. Uh, the big transmission player up here is Bonneville. Um, I mean, does Bonneville need to take a more active role in these market discussions? I mean, they're involved, but it seemed to me like the, so just to fill in a little context for listeners here, uh, Public Power Council, you guys put out a letter um, a couple months ago about, or in May, Mm -hmm. uh, about your position on markets, which most of it was kind of just pragmatic statements of let's not rush into anything. Let's uh, make sure we've got proposals that are really fleshed out. But it seemed the subtext was also saying in Bonneville, um, you're, you need to be, you need to be more front and center in these conversations. I believe that Bonneville is participating both in the Cal ISO conversation through the governance groups and the specific example, the, the specific group escapes me at the moment. And I know that they are participating at different levels in the SPP uh, markets plus conversation and public power definitely is. Uh, there are 
more than one uh, participant in the Cal ISO EIM yeah. uh, public power participants. I can think of Seattle and Tacoma <laughs> right off the top of my head. Um, so, so I think, I feel that Bonneville is well represented and public power is well represented in, in all those conversations, including our trade association. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't think that they're participating or that we were trying to send a subtext message to them. I, I think uh, the, the goal or the intent was to say, as you stated, uh, right is more important than fast. So the uh, my colleague and friend, Kevin Nort, said, look, just because one train is already in the station doesn't mean the other one isn't coming. Um, so before you just jump on, make sure that it's going the place you want to go. Uh, and again, sorry for all the... No, no, that was actually a great not line real, from Kevin. Not I, real words. I, yeah. No, yeah. when I wrote the story on that letter, I, I ended it the, my story with that quote where he said, uh, yeah, one train's at the platform, the other's close. Let's wait till they're both here. Got it. Transmission, though. I mean, none of this happens without transmission. Uh, the conversations. What What can from From your PPC... mouth to the landowner's ears. <laughs> we can't do we can't do any of this without uh, rational transmission policy and and access to construct or expand uh, or better use of existing. And as Josh was saying earlier, that's going to mean more coordination. So yeah. whether you're a single investor owned utility uh, planner or a federal employee planning for a big uh, marketing agency. Yes, we have to do uh, better and more. I think we can do that through the Western Power Pool and, and other entities uh, similar to that. And it's it's necessary, right? Uh, whether it's a real constraint or an artificial constraint, and, and it leads into those seasonal constraints and whether it's induced by extreme heat or wildfire. Yeah, we need redundancy and uh, Joe and Jane public need to understand that that's the piece. Right, that we need to be able to get the megawatts flowing for where the wind is blowing in Montana or the sun is shining in California or the river is flowing in Washington, Oregon, Idaho. It's going to take all of us to be able to get those megawatts where they need to go. That's it's well put. And I, I, I'm maybe I'm just overly optimistic, but I think what we we're at least at a good time where we can hopefully learn some of the lessons that others have had, both on the transmission planning side and just on the market design side. I mean, it's it's kind of a good time to start talking about putting a market together, you know? Uh, so yeah. hopefully we can integrate. Do we have a choice? <laughs> right. Um, so so hopefully we'll get there. And, and and I really appreciate the comments, your comments there, Roger. I. Um, you touched on one little part that I, I really want to talk about because it touches not just the planning side, but just a, a lot of different issues, which is weather. Um, so, you know, weather is getting real messy these days. Uh, so, <laughs> no um, I mean, both in terms of like just extreme weather and how we plan for that, you know, um, you look across the country. You know, uh, as we start to adjust our planning standards towards more extreme events, we find that we're short in a lot of cases. But also, particularly in the Northwest, being a historically largely winter peaking system, and now, especially after like our, our past heat dome, starting to see that shift considerably. Um, I'm just curious yeah. how that's affecting what you how you all are thinking about it, you know, both as North Wasco, but then just overall what you're hearing from your colleagues. Um 
as you come into like so, uh, a, another tough season. <laughs> yeah, we 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 joke because uh, hey, we can get rid of all these uh, wall heater units or resistor heater units and and put in heat pumps and uh, these little mini splits. And thank goodness that that was the case because now people are turning on the AC side of those things and uh, thankful. Um, definitely here in our community, we're historically a winter peaking utility, but it seems like every time uh, the season changes, we're finding a new peak. And uh, I think our non, uh, what we call our diversified load uh, here in the community, the non data center stuff, uh, I think I'm looking at the chart just out of the corner of my eye and yesterday's eight megawatts higher than the day before. Uh, I'm, I'm marking that to heat load or to cooling load due to, due to the heat. Uh, so thank goodness we put in all those mini splits, right? Uh, the, the customer, the people in their home and business, they want to be inside safe and cool. And, uh, oh yeah, don't forget we did all this stuff right in the middle of a pandemic too, right? So people's, uh, needs have changed and their habits have changed and, and working from home now is a, is a different gig. We're, we're seeing residential load staying up during the day, whereas before everyone would peak in the morning, shower, cook, you know, get out of the house, go to school and work, and then come back in the afternoon where we're seeing more kind of bouncing along throughout the day. Uh, we're not a huge system, mind you. So 10,300 meters, just some of them are bigger than others. Uh, but we can even see that on, on the just our little system. So I, I imagine it's similar when I'm having conversations with other uh, utility staff across the region. Everyone is seeing that change. Even especially the coastal communities where maybe historically people had vacation homes or second homes, uh, that's where they all went and a lot of them have stayed. That's a really good point. I mean, there was a lot of flight out into like, especially the more desirable sort of uh, rural communities and the sort of destination mountains, coastal, stuff like that. And that really hits public power. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Coeur d'Alene, uh, Kootenai Electric Service Territory, 20-something percent growth. Uh, wow. Doug Gellett shared with that. Uh, Flathead Electric in Montana, huge growth. Just people moving there in droves. And, uh, I mean, I don't blame them. Uh, but, but even right here in the Dallas, Oregon, right on the river itself, definitely folks kind of leaving the metro area and going upriver. Yeah. You know, we've we've talked about for so long, uh, the outlook in the Northwest was load was flat, even declining slightly because of energy efficiency and what have you. Um, that all is obviously changing as we electrify you know, transportation, industry, uh, et cetera. Uh, what does that look like for you guys? I mean, I've seen, you know, stuff uh, out of like Seattle City Light, which is terrifying. Uh, the full, you know, fast electrification it's not, scenario. It's not terrifying, Dan. It's exciting. It's exciting. It, it's <laughs> terrifying in terms of like. To deliver the kilowatt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, it's the I, pace. I spend a lot of time it, yeah. in the, yeah. I spend a lot of time in the Eugene area. Uh, it's where my sons live and, and my wife's family is. And, uh, a lot of conversation there about uh, not renewing the natural gas providers franchise, uh, definitely having conversations here with our customers about uh, fuel switching. We're seeing it across the region and uh, we're definitely seeing it here in our community, uh, transportation electrification, 
you know, at the end of the day, I sell kilowatt hours, right? So for me, if I offer rebates for home charging to just ensure that we're having that conversation with folks that uh, maybe we can uh, charge during uh, lesser load hours. But again, it's interesting when, when you look at the, the DC intertie path, what used to be mostly south flowing from the northwest to California. Now during the day, it's uh, maybe the other way, the excess solar flowing north, and then we're able to hold back water here in the region while that's happening, and then uh, send it back down in the sh shoulder hours when the sun's going down and when folks are leaning into that storage opportunity. It, which really, for me, emphasizes that conversation that we had just a bit ago about we all need to work together and we need to have the, the planners understand that and that we can do it. And whether it's a market signal that's sending you that information or that desire to flow north or south or east or west, or it's just those responsible for good grid operation uh, doing that, I, I think there's opportunity to even be more efficient and more effective at it especially as, uh, let's say, more um, impactful communities go for beneficial electrification. I mean, Seattle's a big city, right? And, and the outlying areas, and if lots of folks are, are saying, hey, I want to electrify now, uh, the distribution system owner and operator has to figure out how to do that. Uh, for us, we've already done our advanced meter infrastructure project. I, I can have some more granular data, and that's the information that we've been communicating to our customers. It's like you can actually see the choices that you make in real time making a difference to your electric bill. And it, making it yeah. real for folks, it's, it, 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 it's like, look, I need you to want to conserve for your own financial best interest as well as the utilities interest as well as the climate's interest. And, and if we can use talking points like that to keep folks engaged, that we can do that. And I feel that's kind of a public power uh, advantage because there's no shareholder that's benefiting. This is just about you and your utility and your community and your bill. But I mean, one of the, the benefits of public power uh, is the, the price you guys have cheap power. We have cheap power in the Northwest. Uh, and, you know, as opposed to like where my parents still live, where I grew up outside Boston, where you look at Hawaii, where it makes sense to invest a lot in demand response or, um, you know, a power wall at somebody's house. So how do you, it's DR, there's very little DR penetration in the Northwest where you are way behind the rest of the country. Um, and it just seems like that is a tough selling point. Like, why do I care about saving a few cents off of my power bill? I've got, you know, more things to worry about with, you know, logistics of just uh, hurting three kids and, kids and working. Camp, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't, I'm just going to do laundry when I can. Yeah, I, I wish I knew the <laughs> social engineering aspect to get that right. Cause uh, I think if you ask three different customers, you're going to get three different responses. And that's right. the, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of having a diverse community. It, it, you got to find what matters to them. Uh, I, I have customer owners that uh, put solar PV on their uh, roof, even though uh, they don't necessarily agree with our rate structure, uh, our net metering uh, program, the rate of return. Uh, it's valuable to them. Uh, I am just as responsive to them as I am to 
the customer that struggles every month to pay even the five cent kilowatt hours or the multinational corporation that has big data centers here in our community and continuing to grow. I, I need to meet all of them. Um, so I don't have that exactly nailed, Dan. I, I just know it's important to meet each of them where they are and, and continue that conversation of maybe there's some mutual benefit. Well, I, and I will say, I think that that uh, public power has done some of the best job in some of this in terms of one, taking a very holistic view of like your entire program portfolio. So like Roger, what you were talking about in terms of like energy efficiency and, you know, uh, electrification and, you know, demand response or whatever, like having that holistic conversation is a lot easier when you don't have, you know, you're not regulated, you're sort of a- answering to your members and um, you're able to sort of push things forward in, in a way that meets their needs. That's awesome. I mean, I think also if you look at some of the really innovative demand response programs, both in the region and more broadly, have come out of like co-ops in particular. Like, you know, uh, you mentioned yeah. Flathead. Flathead has, I mean, when I was at Portland General Electric, we totally like ripped off some of Flathead's demand response <laughs> programs. Don't tell anybody. Well, uh, now we're on a podcast. Yeah, borrowed, yeah. borrowed like, from, but yeah. Just between the but three of we us. We were inspired yeah. by uh, Flathead's work on like water heater controls. Like they do great job. And it was just, it made economic sense for them because of where they were on their demand charges and they did it. And their members bought in because they listened to them and they had shared ownership. Um, so- Right, a trust, uh, you, that trusted relationship. It's huge. I remember so, I saw. I, a, so, sorry, uh, one more yeah, no, no. story. Um, <laughs> uh, Joe Stull over at Midstate one time giving like a presentation about their thermostat program, and the amount of success they had blew my mind as like an a, a employee of investor-owned utility. And it was clear it was just you know shared ownership, really listening to your customers and pushing things forward. And so there's, I think there's a great opportunity for you guys to really engage further as you look at these other technologies and solutions. So I've got a, a specific question about that. Uh, that you know, like up here in uh, Washington, it wasn't. It was only a couple of years ago now that the legislature gave um, utility or publicly owned utility, consumer owned utilities, uh, the ability to go out and do a lot of pilots with EVs. They're, they were just handcuffed before that. So Seattle just started its first EV incentive program like a couple of years ago. Uh, and to Josh's point that, yeah, you guys aren't beholden to rate of returns for shareholders. You aren't beholden to uh, you know, very somewhat now archaic, uh, but rigid regulatory processes as much as an investor-owned utility. But is the do you guys have enough latitude in terms of like statutorily what you can do to you think, or is there areas where consumer owned utilities need some more freedom from lawmakers uh, like with the EVs up here uh, to push those in innovative solutions and find those innovative solutions that you guys have the freedom to do given your business model? I feel at least in Oregon, uh, there is enough latitude in the uh, governing document, the revised statute that allows PUDs to do what they need to do, similar to co-ops. And what I appreciate uh, about public power is these are the times where we will band together through our statewide associations or even regional associations 
and advocate for our needs if we can clearly articulate what those are and show examples. Um, you know, maybe ours isn't written as well as Washington's is in order to provide other utility services like broadband, but there are associations or opportunities where we can band together with another public body to uh, maybe provide those opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I look at it rather simplistically, or simplic with simplicity, I, I think, because, you know, here's the building that we're in and we provide electric service, right? In the same building, we could provide other services for our community, whether it be water or uh, broadband, because again, it's what's the public benefit. So I can take a 20 year look plus on the investment. Uh, and even if it isn't perfect right out of the gate, I can go back to my governing body, those same five local elected folks that represent the community, the different areas of the community and say, remember, this is what we're trying to uh, achieve. This is what our you know, 10 year strategic plan looks like. This is what uh, the current legislative uh, climate is. And this is the value that we can provide to the community. I think if I can articulate that and, and bring the, the the business case to my elected board, I have a, a good a shot as any in being able to provide that service and answer to them because they're going to hold me accountable to it, right? I'm the one employee of the board and then the staff works for me. That's just the simplistic business model of public power. It's, it's local control. It's used the governing documents to provide that service. Um, and again, I, I'm not shy about saying it. We've had it really good for a long time, right? We're preference customers of uh, the Bonneville Power Administration, which is marketing the power that uh, the New Deal said, hey, go spend federal dollars to, to build all this infrastructure for a variety of purposes. And I think we've done a good job of being stewards of those resources. And I, I believe that those resources are necessary for the future as we understand that some of the stuff that we did was not great for the planet or the climate or humanity. Um, we can walk that back and, and figure it out, right? Uh, well, you, you charge a bunch of engineers with solving a problem, they're going to do their best to solve the problem, uh, whether it's fish passage or climate change or flooding or what have you. Oh, and what a tremendously exciting time to, to be a provider of electricity, right? Like you have the opportunity to address all of these issues that you couldn't before, just, just as a provider of electricity and energy services, right? But you look at you know, shipping, like, and like freight and, you know, uh, charging aviation. for vehicles, aviation, right. I mean, for the rural communities, you know, uh, starting to see, especially in Oregon pilots around electrification of agriculture equipment, like tractors, like that's huge for your members to be able to yep. say, look, you're buying fuel from this big petrol company. You could be buying it from your community. That that's gotta be really compelling. Right. You know, and as far we're, as farmers we're test driving go, those right here in our, just say we're we're actually test driving some of those right here in our community yeah. to, in partnership awesome. with the electric co-op that that surrounds us, hmm. and and similarly the the clean energy credits that we receive from the sale of kilowatt um, hours to and through EV meters uh, that that the Oregon DEQ mm -hmm. Department of Environmental Quality uh, program. We actually sell those credits to one of the local petroleum folks because right. they need them to comply. So it's it's a mutual benefit. They they know they need us, and uh, we're we're happy to do that through a public process. That's awesome. I uh, that that brings uh, brings me to a topic that you you brought up before we got on the call that I think is important, which is how do you see 
the workforce at a utility mm-hmm. like evolving? Um, and how do we as an industry make sure that we're developing that workforce for the right skills, you know, both in the sort of traditional, like we need more people in trades, period, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I yeah. remember you, you couldn't find alignment ever. It was like, if you, <laughs> it was impossible. But then on top of that, you know, in these emerging areas, as you get into, you know, more complex technology, how are you guys thinking about that? We're proposing actual scholarships for the first time in the history of the organization. We're bringing that to the board uh, later on this year for our 2023 budget because we we see that as a need. It's like we need to not only attract talent to attract and retain to bring them into the community, but we need to you know home grow them, uh, folks that have a vested interest in our community. So when I think um, I tried really hard to make a lot of a lemonade, a lot of lemonade from COVID, guys. So uh, to go paperless with our processing systems, to for those that are able to, whether engineering, accounting, finance, customer service, what have you. Uh, I've said in a room full of public power colleagues, it's like, if you guys don't get comfortable with hybrid work, I'm going to pick off all your best and brightest and let them work for me wherever they happen to put their heads at night. I don't mind because I think we have to as an industry. So there's just as many folks I have conversations with that want to go back to the old way. Uh, I am embracing the fact that the old way is gone and we need to work together to help find the new way. Um, Even if that means for those hard to fill positions, like as you stated, line crews, line technicians, uh, you know, even if I have to lean on more the, the contractor community because we just can't keep enough folks around all the time, I got to get comfortable with that. And I have to have the infrastructure in place, you know, contractually and a uh, longer term planning cycle or warehousing differently uh, partnerships with other utility service providers. Cause there's a lot of little consumer owned utilities in the region. Uh, maybe there's opportunities for us to band together and maybe not be so small and mighty, but regional and bigger uh, yeah, for these I mean, types this, of situations. This seems like an area that is ripe for wider industry collaboration. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, Correct. just to get out there and advertise like, hey, it, you know, get those people who might be going to you know, work for an Amazon or what have you, engineers who might go that route to say like, this is an exciting field to be in. Like you, we are changing everything about the energy industry except the, like, the physics. Basically the physics are gonna stay the same. But everything else, the business model, the resource stack, the re- relationship with customers, uh, yeah, the everything's changing. It's an exciting place to be, and it's making a huge difference. I mean, it seems like such an easy pitch to make to people going, you know, coming into college now. Like, hey, you want to change the world? Come work for us. Um, but I don't see that. I don't see, yeah, you know, uh, PPC or. NWPPA or any other acronym you want to pull out. Um, so, I mean, is that something that you guys need to do? Need to do and are doing. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> early education, yeah, jo- job fairs, uh, <clears throat> visiting colleges <throat> as associations and as regional communities. Yes, uh, in progress. Maybe I'm going to borrow some of your lines, like help us change the world. I, I think I'm going to borrow that one. Uh, so thanks, Dan. And um, and that's not hyperbole. Like, that, like no, no. And we, and I was still laughing in my head uh, 
I had a opportunity with our statewide association last Friday in Salem to have a conversation with an elected official who I won't name. But what I said to him was, look, at the end of the day, you guys can do all you want to, but the physics will win. I have to be able to provide electrons flowing down the conductor and, and the physics is going to beat the policy every time. Uh, so that I was stuck on that one. Sorry. But yes, we, we need to continue. That's not hyperbole at all. We are, I believe, working very hard and diligently to improve the planet. We are changing the world. We are looking at um, my dad's generation. It was you know cooking with gas. Uh, we are cooking with kilowatts. And uh, I think it's even cooler. To be yeah. fair, I, I do prefer cooking with a gas stove, but unbelievable. Uh, I have a, I, I have ga- I have gas in my house too, and I'm a utility we're, nerd. We're, we're I, need, I need we're diversification, reliability. <laughs> you need a bridge fuel. Now, you need a no. bridge fuel to move from coal to. Yeah. Yeah. This is, next pod's going to be about induction. You guys are this. You asked for it. There um, you go. <laughs> if, if it works to charge my toothbrush, it'll work to charge everything. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think also on the labor side, like it's just um, across the board, our need for like skilled labor is just, I mean, it's it's mind blowing, yeah. you know, when you think about um, electrification in particular, like, but, but, and distributed energy resources, both on the utility side and just in the broader ecosystem. I know something I've heard from a lot of utilities and my own experience at a utility is, um, you know, even finding your your contractor trades like electricians is really hard, especially electricians who an electrician who knows how to put in a charging station. Those are really tough to come by. Most of them already work for Tesla. So um, yep. that there is a tremendous amount of work we can develop an ecosystem to build these, um, you know, really well-paying jobs for communities um, that really need it. So um, and it's a great story for you guys in terms of you know, you're in the community, you know? So yeah. my, my it, friend, Paul Dockery, he's, he's a big fan of saying, don't go to diesel mechanic school, go to the school that teaches you how to work on batteries and installing those. Let's, let's phase right. that out and right. work on EV engines. Yeah. That's or Paul H- Dockery host of the public power underground, which is our sister podcast. So listeners go check that out after this. <laughs> Actually that, that just was recorded my the latest episode. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Silent. Got to sneak that in there. Send me a hat. <laughs> They've got merch available. Yeah. So sorry to get us off track. I just, you know, Paul. If nope. if I don't plug it, Paul will give me a call and be like, "What is wrong?" <laughs> got it. Got it. Uh, sorry, guys, you, those, we are the, those are the big ones that I had written. Those are the big ones that I had written down. Uh, I tell you what, from a consumer-owned utility in Oregon that's out east a bit wildfire stuff is big and scary. Yeah. Um, we're, we're more focused on what's the fire going to do to us than how are we causing? Cause we don't believe that we're, you know, causing right. fires, uh, our maintenance and pole inspection treatment. And, uh, I think we're really good at that. Um, we did have our plan completed and submitted to the Oregon PUC, even though, uh, we're a consumer owned, that was the, the legislative response is everyone submit to the PUC so they can have them and provide uh, input. And uh, we're happy to do it because it's one of those mutually, uh, you know, wildfire care doesn't care who owns the transmission line or the distribution line. If it's burning through, um, 
but it really reemphasizes the need to have the skilled labor and the, the smart folks designing your system and, and working well with others and have those mutual aid agreements in place. I think up in the Northwest, we do a really good job of whether it's investor owned or consumer owned, we all work really well together in the mutual aid area. Um, Cause we have to. Yeah. Wildfires are a thing, but so are snowstorms and windstorms and uh, a lot of trees in the Northwest. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's, that's such a hard thing. I mean, thinking about back to the, the sort of weather stuff, thinking about seasonality, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, how you plan for an re- resilience event in the summer versus how you plan for it in the winter is very different. And, and a lot of folks are now having to do both. So, well, and just also yep. the, I mean, how we think about resiliency, what that means is changing, uh, especially once you bring into the conversation like equity. And it's not just about the numbers, but about this qualitative aspects to it. We've had this very quantitative aspect and there's qualitative aspects now. Um, recognizing that needs to be part of it. Very much so. The Cascadia subduction zone, you know, we're, where we're Interstate 84 and Highway 97 connect. Uh, Cascadia subduction zone, this is one of the planned staging areas for uh, resource support. Um, when we start to think about, okay, well, you know, even internet connections, the, the hubs uh, to Oregon, uh, you know, I think regionally we need to do better work about making sure things can flow east and not just west. Um, the diversity of community, uh, different communities within your service territory, how you're responding to those, to them. Uh, from a DEI perspective, uh, we have kind of taken the socioeconomic understanding of, uh, of our service territory and say, guys, are we having outages? more so in different kind of uh, pieces of the community? And if so, why? Um, we had never thought about that before. Yeah. It was always rural versus urban. And now it's like, no, it's yeah. urban and maybe one side of town versus another. And let's make sure that we're not doing that. Did we, con- was it constructed differently? Um, yeah. You know, what is it? And that, that I stuff think that's doesn't... important. That stuff doesn't show up in, was it the Sadie and Safi of the right acronyms? No. Uh, yep. Right. Yeah. It's, no. it's, that's great to hear that you're, that you're digging into that stuff. Cause it is, I mean, how you do the numbers really matters and how you break it out really matters. And, you know, it's really easy to sort of focus, especially when you have statutory, like reliability reporting, you just report the numbers you got. Um, but, but when you break it up, it, it makes a huge difference. We've definitely heard stories from, you know, utilities where it's, you know, once you start looking into it, it's not surprising that the infrastructure and some of the, you know, uh, lower income neighborhoods have worse infrastructure. And that's, we got to think long and hard about why that happened and how we fix it. So it's good yeah, to hear. That's right. Because people conference. don't. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, is it because people don't call because they're used to lesser quality of service? And that, gosh, I hope it's not yeah. that. We, right. we better check ourselves real quick if that's the case. Right. And, there were some kind of enlightening moments in, in having those conversations. That's yeah, awesome. I was just going to say, is that uh, listening to a conference a couple of years ago or whatever. Um, and one of the speakers whose name is escaping me right now. Oh, actually I think she was a member of the Oregon PUC still her name's escaping me, but anyways, uh, she made the comment that, yeah, you know, when you lose power and long enough that the food in your fridge goes bad, 
that makes a big difference if you're living paycheck to paycheck or if you're like one of us where, well, okay, I have to do another grocery shopping. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. really a humbling way to look at it. changing things. Right. Yep. 100%. And do you guys have data centers out in where you are? Because that's another we thing do. that I, I thought interesting, just how we're expanding. You mentioned the like the internet, um, and how now, you know, now we have to think about well, the data center that a hospital relies on to run its systems. You know, it, it's not just about keeping the lights on at a hospital now, but it, keeping the lights on or keeping the power flowing to data centers, and just again rethinking kind of the the scope of what resiliency and reliability means. Very much so. I I like to say that, you know, the Dalles for millennia was where the indigenous peoples came to do their trading, Uh, you know, bases, silo balls that were historically here. And now, you know, that goes on and we're trading data. What used to be aluminum smelter area, those are gone away and they've been replaced with data centers. We have uh, Google's big, self-built the first one they built in the 04 timeframe and continuing to grow and expand. So what used to be a sleepy little utility, 20 megawatts and 20 million now is much larger than that and continuing to grow. Our current build out is for uh, 400 megawatts nominally. So for just over 10,300 meters, that's, that's pretty big. Not as big as Umatilla, but we're, we're, we're growing. Holy smokes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, there's no video with this, but we've got, you know, we're, we're on Zoom and Josh's eyes, listeners, just got really big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, peak, we're peaking 165-ish right now wow. uh, as load, loads are coming on. Wow, that's incredible. And what was it when you started back in, what, 2015? Uh, I started in January of 16 and the, the historic peak was in the 120s and then we've grown it annually and seasonally each year. Wow. It's incredible. Fun. It's, it keeps interesting. I, I wasn't as great totally. in 2016. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think that's probably as good a place as any to, uh, to wrap up on, on the exciting notes. Um, <laughs> so unless there's any uh, last, I guess, last call for any interesting comments. Otherwise, we'll let listeners get on with their day. Yeah. Roger, Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Every time we start to talk about this stuff, new things pop into my head. So I I am going to take the Dan quote, help me change the world. And uh, yeah, Josh's reminder of we're all better off if we plan together instead of in our own little silos or spheres of excellence alone. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you you both. Thank you. It's amazing. You guys really are changing the world and the vast majority of people, as long as their lights stay on, will really have no idea of what a Herculean lift task that the uh, energy industry is is just at the start of right now. Yeah, that's my that's my elevator speech to new board members, new publicly elected folks. It's like, look, if people's lights switch is a responsive and they don't get mad when they open up their bill. They won't even think about us historically going forward. The energy space is different and I'm thankful for that too. All right. Well, Roger, thank you very much. Always a pleasure talking with you. 
And listeners, thank you for tuning in. As always, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and let other people know about it. And check out our sister podcast with Paul Dockery at Klatskin IPUD. Uh, that's the Public Power Underground. We just uh, recorded another episode yesterday with Kurt Miller of what Northwest River Partners talking about the Lower Snake River Dam. So please do check that out. Energy West is edited and produced by Sarah Wooten at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucas Smith at Lucky Sound Studio. Thank you again, and we'll see you back here soon. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. 